Welcome to the Agents of Innovation podcast, where we feature conversations with entrepreneurs, philanthropists, and artists. Welcome back to the Agents of Innovation podcast. I am your host, Francisco Gonzalez, and I'm once again in one of my favorite places in the world, Antigua, Guatemala. And so we're back here, and I'm here with Philip Wilson, who is the founder of uh, Ecofiltro and also of El Cubo, where we're here, a beautiful uh, co-working space just outside the city limits of Antigua. So, Philip, thank you so much uh, for welcoming here to your space. Thank you, Francisco. What an honor to be on your podcast. Well, you're a true agent of innovation, Philip, and we're going to learn about your story. So uh, you were born and raised in Guatemala. I know you, you, you did some college time and even spent some business time in the United States. Can you tell us a little bit about your, your background growing up and, and, and your education and professional experience? Yeah, I mean, it was a bit unusual. I actually, um, I was born in Guatemala, but we were living in Australia. So my dad uh, was the, he was the director of Shell in the 50s, and that's how he met my mother. And, uh, and then he was uh, put in charge of Australia in the 60s. And uh, my mom wanted me to be born in Guatemala, so she took one of these big Pan Am jumbo jets. It's a miracle I wasn't born on the plane. Uh, <laughs> from Melbourne, Australia, all the way to Guatemala. So I was born here, but then back in Australia months later. So, you know, first three years in Australia, then we were in England for a time. And then I really actually grew up in New Orleans. So New Orleans was um, kind of my grade school, high school, but we always came back to Guatemala for every Christmas and every summer. So I, you know, even though you, you know, I'm half English, half Guatemalan, I uh, really feel more Guatemalan because growing up, you know, we rarely went to England. In fact, my English cousins always came to me because of the bad weather and December, January, they would end up here uh, as opposed to me going there. And did you do high school here in Guatemala? So I did high school uh, in, uh, in a suburb of New Orleans. Oh, in New Orleans? Uh, yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. And then from there, what was your educational path? So then I went to the University of Notre Dame. Oh, wow. Um, fighting Irish. Yeah, fighting Irish. And uh, after Notre Dame, I came to work here for three years. And then I went to Penn, to Wharton for MBA. Um, so so that, that's kind of the uh, education background. What did yeah. you study, and then what was your early business uh, <laughs> life? Yeah, so, so Wharton, I mean, actually a year into Wharton, I'm like, what am I doing here? Um, I, was, I was working in finance at the time here in Guatemala, and uh, I remember taking this derivative class, and I'm like, gosh, I, I don't think I'm ever going to apply this stuff, because I always had the intention to come back to Guatemala to work, and so... I tell my mom, I said, I think I'm going to drop out. I don't know if I can apply any of this um, back here in Guatemala. And she says, you know, you're going to finish what you started. And so that forced me to find the entrepreneurial tract at Wharton, which was great. You know, Mm -hmm. there was a lot of uh, um, entrepreneurs that were lecturing at Wharton and had, uh, you know, they they were um, more practical for me. You know, they would say, okay, this is how you approach a bank. This is how you, uh, if you want funding, this is what you got to, you know, jot down in your applications. And I just found that to be very helpful. Um, And when I graduated, I think I was the only one in the whole class that started a business uh, out of business school. So um, I, I actually went from not being happy in business school to really, yeah, you know, soaking in a lot of the uh, information from the uh, entrepreneurs that we're teaching at the time. So what kind of company did you start? Yeah, so um, I started a, a battery distribution company in San Diego, California. Um, it was, uh, I was just looking for interesting opportunities. And one of my uh, professors at Wharton said, don't look for sexy businesses. And so uh, I, I remember, you know, at the time he was discussing this business, um, which was basically picking up dead horses in West Texas. And uh, this company, and it was a humongous company uh, that would go all over West Texas, picking up all these dead horses, and they would uh, process the dead horses 
and uh, they were suppliers for the cosmetic industry, believe it or not. Not a very, uh, you know, clean business, uh, you would say nowadays, but I think the Bass Brothers were competing for that business. And wow. I was, just, was, you know, he said, look, those businesses, you're not going to have a lot of sophisticated competition. And, you know, he also, um, he, he was involved with the porta potty industry <laughs> and had developed these humongous businesses all over the world. He was just entering India. And so anyway, I said, okay, battery seems like a very low tech. Uh, and so I found this, uh, we found this factory in Minnesota that was doing these really high end batteries for standby power and for, uh, for vehicles. And that was my first business. And, uh, you know, I got really lucky um, because we, 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 did, we did pretty well in that business. Well, you know, it's funny because when you say that, a lot of times people look for these glamorous, sexy businesses. Yeah. But the number one thing, I think, for all entrepreneurs is, is being a problem solver. Yeah. Right? So especially yeah. those things that are come up in people's daily life, batteries, yeah poop, you yeah. know, whatever, all these sorts of things, yeah. right? People need their problems solved. Yeah. And, uh, and you, as an entrepreneur, you're able to see that, uh, and fill the need. And yeah. so I think that's great. So Philip, I remember when, when I came here, uh, some months ago and you gave me a, a great tour of Ecofiltro, uh, one of the things you said to me, I, I think you maybe were around 40 ish years old or something yeah. and you had kind of retired. <laughs> uh, and, 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 uh, tell me about that point where you had felt a point of success yeah. Um, but you were kind of done with your work and were maybe looking for something new. Yeah. So, you know, after the battery business and um, I was a founding shareholder of a community bank in California and we did okay. We ended up selling it to Placer Sierra, then to Wells Fargo. And so I'm, I'm young, um, uh, comfortable. And I, I remember going to my mom telling her, I kind of feel like a, a leaf in the wind. I lack purpose. And, you know, I... I, I, I was never a person that wanted to collect watches and yachts. And, you know, I, I had my kids' college uh, paid for and a beautiful home. And, um, and I was like, oh, what is there left to do? And um, that kind of inspired me to, to, to get into, to kind of try to apply my entrepreneurial experience to do something with purpose. So, uh Speaking of with a purpose, so I know your sister and I think her mother yeah. had started a nonprofit, yeah. an NGO, a, a eco that was putting these eco filters in yeah. the homes of poor people, especially in Guatemala. Yeah. Uh, before we get there, because if people maybe aren't familiar with an eco filter, I know most people in Guatemala are. Yeah. I see them in every home, everywhere. Yeah. Every business has one, but you know, in the United States, where I'm from in most places we're privileged with very easy access to clean water. Um, it's not something we have to think about too much. Uh, if, if we want even more clean water, we mm. put a, an actual filter yeah. on our, in our refrigerator or on our sink. Right. Um, and, 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 or buy bottled water. Mm. Right. So, uh, tell me about what is an eco filter yeah. <laughs> and, and the inventor and all that. Yeah. Yeah. So th th it's a really interesting story. So, uh, my, my mother, uh, I always say that my, you know, my mom started a foundation and she did two things really well before I stepped in. One was she focused on access to clean water. So if you want to help the poor of any developing country, give them access to clean water. All the studies confirm it's the best way to help them uh, health-wise uh, for their productivity. So they had a great focus. But in the 80s and the 90s, everyone was doing chlorination programs and they were failing like crazy. So less than 5% of families were continuing on these programs after six months. You know, who likes drinking pool water? And so my sister, who's a nutritionist and was in the foundation, she met Fernando Masariegos, who was this incredible inventor, a biochemist, who he developed this filter that's made out of natural materials, clay and sawdust and then coated with colloidal silver. But the beauty of this product is it replicates how nature purifies in a thousand meters. It does it in a couple inches. It looks like a flower pot. Um, it doesn't require any energy. It's low cost. And you know, from the time of the Egyptians, the Romans, the Mayans, uh, I was just in Petra and Jordan, you know, you see these clay vessels wow. everywhere. And one of the things the inventor told me, he worked, uh, you know, when I started Ecofiltro, the social enterprise, he worked with me for 10 years and he said, 
you know, cause I always asked him, how did you come up with such an incredible, simple solution? He says, well, I, I thought like an anthropologist, not like a biochemist. And I studied, you know, what product would be culturally accepted. And, you know, with water, it had to contain clay. So that's how he found a way to use clay and sawdust to create these, you know, small micropores, you know, 0.3 microns, um, so that you can trap any bacteria, which is what gets, um, you know, a lot of people sick here in countries like Guatemala. Um, yeah, and then the materials are natural. So when you're done using them, yeah. how do they go back to the earth? Yeah, so um, <clears throat> everyone loves uh, our product because then use it as a flower pot. Mm. You know, nothing goes to the garbage dump. And, you know, that's uh, especially young, uh, young consumers. You know, it's interesting. We have a lot of demand, not only in Guatemala, but you see young people like in France and Spain. Um, they like, you know, you do have portable water in Paris, but it has a funny taste, you know. Sometimes it's got maybe a little too chlorine, uh, too much uh, chlorine. And so the filter, because it has carbon, the sawdust turns into carbon, uh, it comes out like, a, you know, natural spring water. Yeah. And so it's, it's uh, you know, but I've always wanted to connect, um, you know, the urban families in countries like Guatemala with helping me reach you know, rural families in country. I mean, I could make this much bigger going to developed countries, but I really like kind of connecting the local populations um, and having those urban sales help me reach the, the, the rural. So uh, before we go too far into that, uh, I want to step back because this is something I think your sister and mother started. Yeah. And they started as an NGO, as yeah. a charity. Yeah. And yeah, they started as a foundation. That Francisco is the, you know... Th the big problem with foundations is they depend on donations, mm -hmm. okay? And so it's a limiting factor. If you want to scale a solution and really solve a problem and reach millions of people, you can't have that limiting factor. And so I go into the foundation and I, I, I remember asking my sister who was directing the efforts of the foundation, I says, how many families are we reaching with clean water? She said about 2,000. I says, okay, interesting. And how many families are not, uh, you know, do not have access to clean water? About a million. And so, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, you're like, okay, you, you, you look at market penetration. I says, okay, we're not really solving the problem. And I asked her why we couldn't reach more families. She says, well, we have the limitation, which is the funds we have for the foundation. So they had about a $250,000 budget and, um, you know, we weren't, we weren't reaching a lot of families. So I knew there had to be a better way. And that better way was turning it into a for-profit company. Yeah. And yeah. so I want to hear the process of that, including the conversation that you must have had with your sister <laughs> and your, and her, your mother yeah. about taking a charity uh, that they probably felt passionate about uh, and and saying, hey, I want to turn this into a for-profit company. Yeah, and, and you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it because it was very painful at the beginning. Um, I had to um, bring in people from the private sector. And, you know, if you're, you know, if you from a young age have been involved in a foundation or NGO, it's kind of hard to say, okay, we're not going to see the poor as objects of pity anymore. We're going to see them as real con consumers. And, you know... You know, my sister, my sister, you know, didn't talk to me for a few months. She's like, you know, I don't know if it's right to sell to the poor. Um, you know, a lot of the NGOs, they, they don't think that uh, the poor have the funds or should be sold to. And, you know, my approach was I think it's very paternalistic and kills the dignity of the poor when you just focus on giving them free stuff. So it was at the beginning, you know, it was very difficult. Uh, a lot of people were opposed to what I was trying to do. But my only intention was, okay, we're only reaching 2,000 families. We got to do better. You know, I, I, I wasn't going to uh, use this company to increase my net worth. I just wanted to solve the problem. So what, I mean, I, I, I understand that you went in, uh, when you first got involved with the foundation, you kind of went out and started yeah. going into the field and seeing some things that made you think, maybe we need yeah. to change the way we do this. So I, this was the beautiful, I think this is the beautiful part of the story because my sister actually drove me to um, 
she would work in what's called caserios, which are hamlets of like 30 to 50 homes. Mm-hmm. And so we go into this hamlet just outside, outside Santa Cruz Quiche, about four hours in the highlands of Guatemala. And the, these group of homes had already received the filter. But for me, you know, I'd never been into a rural family's home ever. Okay, my sister, that's, that was her world. That's where she worked with the foundation. But what struck me is they were poor in humble homes, you know, dirt floors, lots of smoke because they cook with a lot of firewood here. Um, but I saw smartphones. I saw uh, televisions, you know, some flat panel uh, at the time. Um, I saw some dishes, you know, not for eating, but on the roofs connected to a cable service. Satellite dish. Uh, satellite dishes. And so I'm... You know, and then, you know, there's the echo filter that had been donated and, you know, it was being used, but it was kind of in a corner. It wasn't clean. Um, the TV was covered with a cloth, you know, it was at the center of the home. And, you know, the difference was, you know, our filter was given away at the time. And, you know, these poor families had bought their TV, for instance. And so, but what struck me was, you know, there wasn't a lot of resources but there were some resources. And so I asked my sister, I says, her name is Dominique. I said, Dominique, can I go into a hamlet where you're going to donate filters? But, you know, I want to understand what they're doing right now. And for me, what, what really opened my eyes, Francisco, is I go in there, I have several questions, but the two that are pertinent to this conversation is, I said, what are you doing right now to purify your water? And everyone was using firewood to boil water. I asked all of them, what were they spending? And no one would give me a data point. They would be like, well, you know, depending if it's the rainy season or the dry season, we burn three to four logs each morning. You know, they put a big pot of water and then they start boiling it. And so, but they all, um, you know, I asked them, do you cut the trees down? Do you buy them? And they were all buying it from this gentleman in the entrance of Santa Cruz. And I got the cell phone. And so on the way back, and I interviewed like 20 families, but I, I got a good sense that they were using resources to bring purified water into their home. When I go visit the gentleman selling the firewood, they were spending about $13 a month on firewood to boil water. So that's how... the time of boiling, boiling water, right? Boiling water and just, yeah. it, you know, uh, and, and you can only boil a small amount, right? right? So I says, okay, I think we have something here that can help us bring clean water to hundreds of thousands of families. That's amazing. So um, you set a goal of doing that. Uh, by the way, what, when was this that you converted it to the, to the company, to a for-profit company? Yeah, so about 10 years ago. 10 years uh, ago. And, you know, when you're a foundation or NGO, you can't invoice, right? So I said, okay, you know, we're going to have a model where we're going to sell filters uh, because that's going to be the way to to make it financially sustainable and to scale so we made it a a, a social anonima a for-profit business and um you know i um i was just very confident that it was going to work better that way uh and 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 i knew that there was a value proposition you know one of the things i, I you know I asked my friends, I said, what are you spending on clean water in your home? And everyone was buying, you know, these 20 liter water bottles, spending about $250 a year, right? So I said, okay, I'm going to, you know, this filter looks like a flower pot. It can be put in a plastic bucket or it can put in um, stainless steel, ceramic. You can make it really beautiful. So I said, I know that I can generate lots of cash really quickly going to the urban market because rural, you know, there's a big difference between uh, rural and urban sales. You know, urban sales, a lot of above the line marketing, which is what I've always done with my companies, you know, billboards, radios, uh, radio, traditional marketing. In rural areas, I knew that we were gonna have to gain the trust, you know, and, and it's all about below the line marketing where you, you had to find a partner in the community before you can approach them and sell. So we got urban going, we got into the big chains like Walmart and uh, here in Guatemala, there's a chain called Semaco and we got into all these chains, got a good level of cash flow going. I go back to rural areas and I said, okay, what can I do to generate demand? And we thought, uh, I think, you know, let's take a, a page out of the Microsoft playbook. You know, when they go into frontier markets, 
they partner up with schools and universities and they donate software. So I says, okay, what if we donate an ecofilter per classroom, one in the kitchen of the school, and we make the school director sign a contract so that we're allowed through the donation to talk to all the parents about clean water. Mm. And, um, and that was kind of how we started penetrating rural markets. And we found out, it's very interesting, we saw that young kids particularly do not like the taste of boiled water, mm. right? And so all of a sudden they're drinking this cool water that's natural tasting. Um, and, you know, the kids would compete for, to be the ones that, could, that would fill it up in the classroom. And we created this great... Um, you know, I think we're up to like a million, over a million kids in 6,200 schools that became this incredible guerrilla force of promoters of the Ecofiltral. Because they're in school drinking the good water. They right. go home, hey, mom, dad, where's the good water? Right. Yeah. And, and, and we got really good at setting up distributors. We have over 700 rural distributors that, um, you know, we made them the superheroes. We started donating to the schools through them, you know, because you wanted that personal presence, uh, distributor with inventory in the community near the school. And basically, you know, it turned into um, a social enterprise that was scaling like crazy. I mean, we've, we've reached about 800,000 homes in wow. Guatemala. Um, what we produce a day, which is about 2,000 a day here in the factory, is the amount of families we would reach a year through the foundation. So wow. it, it was very clear. That's that a 365 X scale. <laughs> it, it was very clear to me that that was the right model. And, you know, I think, you know, now they've written books about social enterprise and how it's the path forward. But back then it was still, you know, I felt alone, you know, because, you know, Guatemala was a place with thousands of NGOs and they really dominated the conversation of bringing clean water to rural areas. And I'm here saying, I just don't see the results. I don't see that any of them are solving the problem. We need to switch it. And it was a lot of, I think there was a lot of negativity about going in, in there and bringing clean water through a service that would be sold through an ecofiltral. So there was a lot of negativity up, up front. Um, so I got a couple of questions re related to that. Uh, one, what was that resistance from maybe people in the NGO community? Also, uh, speaking of resistance, because I always like to, uh, <laughs> to talk to my students about how every innovation has resistance uh, right yeah. up front, right? Um, what about also just the general industry as well? Um, people in the urban community who are used to the big plastic water bottles, yeah. Did they accept the eco filter? And what about the competition? What did they say about the eco filter? Right, uh, to, to, because they're probably you know their business might be threatened now with all those water bottles. Yeah, I mean you know right at the beginning, I I like any company I start, I try to be the number one salesperson. Okay, so that's the what I do when I start a company is I say okay I'm gonna you know take it to market because that's where I obtain all the market intelligence. And so I went around, uh, you know, I chose 50 close friends and family, and we had these ecofiltros and these clay receptacles uh, made, you know, by hand in Rabinal. And um, actually, one of the first interactions was one of my cousins. And, you know, when I explained the filter, you know, to, 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 to my cousin, he said, you know, you know, you're my cousin, we're like best friends, you know, we have similar age. You know, I don't know if I can drink water out of a flower pot. You know, I started having these. Um, we had always used an ecofiltro. My sister, my mom, um, we had used it for, for many years. So I, that told me something. I says, you know, what if I change the pitch and say, hey, can you try this filter out for 30 days? I'm just trying to understand, you know, the acceptability of it. And after I changed that and people accepted using it, you know, 30 days later, I'm, you know, selling it to three or four uh, friends or family of my cousins and friends because they're like, oh my gosh, the water tastes so good. Oh, I don't have to wait for the water company to deliver. Oh, my mother-in-law who's getting old and has a bad back 
she always has trouble lifting up this. So I started gaining this market intelligence of, okay, this is what we need to do. This is the message that's going to allow us to sell. And that's why if you go into all the Walmarts and the Semacos, all the chains, they all have water stations because I found, okay, people need to taste the water. That's number one. And then we always had the lab report there that confirms that it's, uh, you know, portable water. And, you know, at the beginning we have, you know, we have sales promoters because, you know, people need to be explained how it works. But if I hadn't done those initial sales, I wouldn't have understood that people need to try the water in order for them to be convinced that it's a good product and, and, and they would become consumers. So that's kind of that. So that. I bring a lot of group trips here to Guatemala. If I've got people that come here and they've never been to Guatemala, maybe somebody listening, um, and maybe they're like, hey, I want to, you know, I'm staying at this hotel or I see this in a place yeah. of business, an eco-filter. How long do the eco-filters last? And um, do they need to be cleaned or yeah. updated throughout that period? Like, how can I trust that somebody's taking care of the yeah. one I'm drinking out of? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we're we're in all the hotels, and you know, th- there's a huge movement of of uh, removing plastic bottles, right, from rooms, and we've kind of piggybacked on that tsunami of you know environmental uh, consciousness. Um, so every six months, you just clean the filter with a clean sponge and filtered water. Very simple. And you put it back in. It's used for basically treating, you know, practically sewage, which a lot of our customers in rural areas put through the filter. In urban areas, you're just taking out the chemicals like chlorine. So it's a very low, um, you know, it, it, it doesn't put our filter to the test in, in urban areas. You're just taking out the, you know, something that's portable. You're making it taste natural and, 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 and fresh. Um, so that, 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 that's how we, uh, it's very simple. And, you know, to answer your question of, well, did you have any, you know, what did the competition do? And I do have to give credit to one of my professors in business school. He said, big companies are slow moving. And, um, I think that's why entrepreneurs always have an opportunity because I was like, okay, we're going to run like crazy to take over the urban market. Um, and it's going to be too late for them to respond, you know, because once you have, you know, we have about 350,000 urban families in Guatemala. Once you're in that many places and people are happy yeah. and they save money, it's convenient, you know, they're healthier. Um, it's hard for them to respond. Um, and, and that's why it's great to have entrepreneurs. I mean, they're really, they're, they're the community that drives innovation in a market. And, you know, the bigger companies take a while to respond to the yeah. entrepreneur's new product or service. The big companies have the resources, but uh, they kind of get set in their ways in some yeah. ways. The startups are coming in with fresh new ideas. Yeah. Speaking of which, Philip, you gave me a tour of the, of the Ecofiltro uh, factory, um, which is right behind where we're sitting yeah. here. And one of the things you mentioned to me was uh, you have different teams yeah. within. So as you've been able to grow and... Um, also, you mentioned um, there's a profit sharing incentive. Yeah. So, can you yeah. tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, it, it's really, this is what's fa- fascinating about this kind of pivot in my life. So, I go through this midlife crisis, I'm looking for purpose, and I start working with Ecofiltro. We find this great model to scale and reach hundreds of thousands of families with clean water. And then, you know, I read this book called Humanocracy, highly recommended. It's called um, what? Humanocracy. Humanocracy. Yeah, it's uh, it's available on Amazon. It's a beautiful book. But one of the things I did five years ago, I said, you know, the people are the most important part of this organization. What if, what if I empower everyone? You know, what if I, instead of having all these layers, create teams in the factory? So we have eight teams in the factory and they're all self-managed teams and they're empowered to constantly be doing experiments on how to better do their job. And we found that that was such an exceptional way to increase the efficiency and and the numbers show it, you know, we're much more efficient since we went to self-managed teams. But then I'm reading this article about Delta airlines. I'm flying back. uh, It's in the wall street journal. I don't know where I was flying back from. I think Europe and um, Delta shares 25% of their profits with all their employees. And they're always one of the most profitable airlines in the world, right? I think they're always number one in the States. So I said, that sounds like a good number for me to share with all the folks. So we empower everyone at Ecofiltro. We share profits. 
and this has been the most profitable company I have ever run. So I went from, okay, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm looking for purpose, I go to the foundation, I switched the model for, to for-profit, and then, you know, because, you know, Ecofiltro is all about the noble purpose of clean water, I go to this human-centered approach, empower and share profits, and then I'm like, wow, this is the best way to run any company. And so my other companies now have, you know, I empower and I share profits, and it's kind of interesting how um, I learned more about how to be an effective uh, entrepreneur through going through this uh, process with my mother's foundation. Well, I like so much about that. Part of it is it's also inspiring uh, or incentivizing the folks in your factory, which uh, or on your all in all your teams, all your all the employees that you know they may not look at themselves as an entrepreneur because they didn't start the business or they're not even yeah. running the business, but they're running a team. Yeah. And they're entrepreneurial, and this is something I kind of like to preach yeah. too, is you could be entrepreneurial wherever you are. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's a startup initiative type of mindset. Yeah. And it seems like that's what you're doing. I also remember we were walking through uh, your factory here, and you mentioned there was something, uh, maybe one out of 100 uh, were oh. breaking. Yeah. And tell me about that story. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so um, they're, they're, one of the teams is, is called the finishing team. And... Um, you know, they receive the raw filters uh, out of the press when they're still wet. And they found that two to three out of every hundred were warping, mm. slightly warping. And so the team got together and they said, well, on the other corner of the factory, we recycle thousands of boxes every month. And so they did these cutouts, these round cutouts, these carbon, carbon cutouts, and they started putting them in the raw filters. Well, they brought that to zero. Zero out of 100 warp now. And, you know, the question is, would Philip Wilson have come up with that idea? Of course not. Never. When you empower a team, you know, they will do a better job because they're doing that job every day. And they have more insight on how to make their team more efficient. So, and that's just a visible one. Yeah, I, I remember when we were walking through. And I saw one of those cardboard, cardboard yeah. cutouts. But can you imagine those that aren't visible? So it's a constant innovation. I mean, when you empower and share profits, you create uh, auditors, you know, because they're receiving, uh, you know, 25% of the profits, um, mm -hmm. you know, so, so, you know, everyone's trying to save money. Um, everyone's uh, fanatic. They're innovators. They're enthusiastic about the company. And I don't know if you knew this, but, you know, Gallup did a survey in the U.S. and in Guatemala. I think in the U.S. it was 70% of employees are not engaged in their companies. Wow. Here in Guatemala, I think it was 69% in the U.S. and I think it was 70% in Guatemala uh, or it's flipped. But anyway, around 70%. And so, you know, why is Ecofiltro so successful? Why is it so profitable? Because we brought that 70% to zero. You know, everyone loves working here because, you know, they're in charge of their position. And, they're in, and you know, when you empower someone, the message is, I believe in your creativity, your intelligence, your ability to do your job uh, much better than I could ever tell you how to do it. And that's just, that is so powerful. So I think you have a lot there that a lot of people running businesses could really take some advice from. And even big corporations, you know, we, we have a lot of people, uh, you know, that are upset with maybe some of the top corporate executives yeah. are making these insane salaries and they're not sharing it. So, yeah. but it kind of looks at it, maybe the incentive for some of those big executives could be, hey, actually, if I have the Delta Airlines model or the Ecofiltro model, uh, we'll actually make more profit and we'll all yeah. win. Uh, so that's so if you're looking at it from purely a profit perspective, the other thing here I noticed, it, it seems like you have maybe the entire team are all Guatemalans. Yeah. And um, so what's cool to me is that you're local here. You, you, you didn't have to bring in anyone from outside. Yeah. You're using the skill, the labor, the, the knowledge, everything, including... We were taking a look at, I forget, there was some kind of machine that somebody invented yeah. or created just for the eco-filter. Yeah. And it was like engineers from here in Guatemala yeah. that created it. Yeah, that, that, that's actually a great story. So about 18 months ago, I, I put out a post that said, I, I need to build a machine that can produce 2,000 filters a day. And so, you know, some of my friends WhatsApp me and they said, you know, I, I've got this contact in Hamburg, you know, Germany and Switzerland. Uh, one of my friends was doing some work in China, says, I think this person can help you. And then I says, you know what? I, I really want it to be built locally. 
And, you know, the responses are, you can't do that here. There isn't the know-how of electronics and this. For so to make a long story short, three engineers, all local, Guatemalan, um, they said we will, um, you know, take up this challenge and we will build you this machine. So the machine that you saw when you walked through the factory produces 2,000 a day. It's extremely efficient. Um, I, I built them a little factory right next to our factory um, because, you know, they didn't have a physical space to build it. But, you know, the beautiful story is they are now receiving orders from some food manufacturers for some food processing equipment because they have the capability to do it. And, and I learned something, and it may be because I didn't grow up in Guatemala. Um, my insight there, Francisco, is we don't challenge Guatemalans enough. Like, I'm constantly challenging, and I am very surprised by how good they, uh, they work out. And, and so I'm a big believer in, in, in challenging the local workforce, you know, and, and, and say, look, we need to build this here. And it happens. I agree with you. Uh, you, uh, you are, we're going to talk about this in a minute, but you and your wife, Christine, are behind putting together the Volcano Summit, an amazing, uh, huge conference on innovation and entrepreneurship. Um, I'm grateful for the opportunity to having been able to speak, especially on the topic of my mm -hmm. book, which also helps really help people learn how to build an entrepreneurial mindset. One of the things I, I said, and I had Mary Elena Acevedo, who's a Guatemalan immigrant to the U.S., who's been yeah. living there for 15 years, uh, do a fireside chat with me. But I, I really believe that uh, I, we look around Guatemala, and especially from somebody that comes from the outside, and we see the, a place of abundant resources, amazing beauty, um, hardworking people, good moral people, a lot of strong work ethic. And I scratch my head sometimes, like, yeah. why, isn't, why do a lot of people uh, see this as a third world country yeah. or a place with a lot of poverty that still has a lot of poverty? But... Um, I par partly think it's uh, the mindset. We yeah. have to switch the mindset. Yeah. So that was one of my messages in the talk was I hope more people here can believe yeah. that this country can be great and that people can be great. It looks like you have tried to instill that mindset and that the f challenging other Guatemalans to build things and to do things. Um, and they're looking when they are challenged that they find success. Yeah. I, I think one of the issues here, Francisco, is trust. And the beauty of having projects like Ecofiltro and El Cubo is they're very visible. And I always bring people here because I'm like, look, look what can be done here. And, um, and what we're trying to do with Volcano is, um, I, I don't know if you know the background, but Yossi Vardi from Israel is kind of like the godfather of the transformation of the Israeli economy to a tech, mm -hmm. you know, high tech and innovative economy. Because Israel 50 years ago was like Guatemala, agricultural based uh, economy. And you and I know that no country that's agricultural based is going to create the prosperity that's going to keep our people here working. You know, they're all going to immigrate elsewhere. That's what happens with economies that are agricultural based. And so, you know, that's how it all started. And we're like, okay, this is an interesting model. We like that Israeli model. And that's why at the very beginning we had so many tech, uh, successful tech companies come and be the initial speakers. You know, now they're from all over the world. But that's, you know, what we're trying to do with Volcano is let's change the mindset. Let's show people what's been done in other places and uh, inspire Guatemalans uh, and connect them, you know, with financial resources and with education on how to take their, you know, dreams and, you know, to a, to a level that's going to create prosperity for the and country. how many years now has that you have the four? So it's a four, four. Four. And what was amazing to me, uh, I think there was about 1,500 attendees from yeah. about 35 countries. Yeah. It, uh, I, I was just amazed at all the incredible people I was yeah. meeting. In fact, I, there's only so much so many conversations you could have in three days. I had a lot of them, and I, I was remarking to some friends here. Um, I wonder how many people I walked by that were just as amazing that I probably oh, missed, you know? Oh, just uh, over 100 speakers, yeah. you know, from all over the world. And, it, 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 you know, the, the energy is great, right? And, and The and, volcano energy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I um, you know, I connected an entrepreneur who's got a fascinating uh, venture, uh, doing these, uh, producing these uh, ecological paints. Uh, you know, he's already about a million dollars a year. And I connected him actually with someone from Florida mm. uh, who was telling me an hour before I saw this entrepreneur, I really want to invest in Guatemala. So I'm like, okay. When he told me kind of what his 
skill set was and what kind of investments, uh, I paired them up. You know, I don't know what's going to c- come out of it, but just think of how many people got paired up, yes. uh, local entrepreneurs, and not only from Guatemala, but from the region. I don't know if you noticed, but there's a lot of Central Americans, mm-hmm. uh, Mexico, a lot of entrepreneurs from the region. Uh, but there was a ton of uh, venture funds from all over the world that came uh, this year. Yeah, really incredible. So in addition to Ecofiltro, which is the factory, I'm looking at it through the window <laughs> there. It's, it's right there. Uh, we're sitting in El Cubo, an amazing co-working space. Can you tell us a little bit about the background and what goes on here? Yeah. So, you know, um, I'm also an organic coffee farmer, and uh, it's really been uh, on a economic basis a failure. And it, I've never been able to make it a lucrative business, you know, even though we're USDA organic and, you know, we're in the 1% of top quality coffee. So one of the things that I thought is, okay, what if we can do something really innovative, a physical space that will um, create more and better jobs in the region? You know, Antigua, where we're sitting right now, you know, it's an economy that's tourism focused and agriculture, coffee farms, very volatile. Um, The majority of folks, for instance, that work in a hotel or minimum wage doesn't move the needle. So El Cubo is a disruptive building, but it's here to kind of build a community of innovators. So we have over 30 companies, a hundred. We just, one of the, um, one of the attendees of Volcano yesterday, who's the guy that created Voice Over IP, who's a, a person I really admire, I uh, said, get rid of co-working co-creators. So now it's a co-creator space. Ah. <laughs> it sounds better than co-worker, yes. right? Um, so these co-creators that are, you know, on the second, you know, first, second, and third floors, um, a lot of them are tech heavy. So we have, you know, uh, a couple engineers fixing satellites from here that are connected to the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. We have a company that manages uh, doctors, uh, marketing in the United States from here. Um, All these digital companies, the company is trying to uh, produce films here, which you can do with the same quality, but a third of the budget. And so we're trying to create those jobs that are, you know, value added, that, you know, are three or four times the minimum wage and that we think there's a lot more demand. So let's say like a little Silicon Valley, we're starting with this uh, small building, but I hope there's a couple hundred of these uh, in the region and we can really turn this into an economy that's going to reduce poverty in the region. Yeah, this is a beautiful building. Um, My understanding is people can come here and buy day passes. Maybe they're visiting Antigua and they want a place to work from. Um, week passes, month passes, right. maybe some people have established offices here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so and, and, and it's Francisco, it's really all about the community. So, yeah. you know, we have these weekly talks. There was a fascinating talk on artificial intelligence a couple weeks ago. Then, uh, this company, uh, talked about chat GBT. There's a, we have them on wellness. Um, we, you know, it's really a community and a community is what it also is, you know, you have to make this a profitable venture. So we found, I did, we did this through COVID, you know, and at first I'm like, oh my gosh, you're reading all these articles about how the office isn't going to exist anymore. Um, and, you know, when we filled it up relatively quickly with the type of companies we wanted, I went and interviewed them. I said, so what, you know, what encouraged you to sign these, you know, year, two year contracts to be here? And they said, you know, we like the flexibility of working from our home, but we wanted to see people. We want to be part of a community. So, you know, we're social animals and I think we created a, a, a community that's going to create a lot of innovation in the region. And that's what it is. It's a community of innovators. And, um, you know, we have waiting lists now to come in. So uh, I probably did it too small, but it was the, <laughs> I never built a building before. So I was like, okay, I'm going to hedge my bet. Um, and, but I think uh, more of these buildings will come in hopefully in different parts of Guatemala. I mean, I'd love them to be in Coban, um, in uh, Puerto Barrios, in Shela, in places outside of Guatemala City that, you know, there's just too much traffic and too much congestion. Um, I'd love to kind of spread this innovation around the country. That's amazing. Uh, well, Philip, also, uh, your wife, Christine, I mentioned her as one of the part of the Volcano Summit as well. She is a force as well. Yeah. And she also, I know, um, has 
created a school here. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about all some of the things she's up to, including yeah. the school? Yeah, she's an incredible innovator. And, you know, you have to build an ecosystem, right? So if you want to have great talent in a geographical place, um, if you have a great entrepreneur with a young family, they're probably not going to move here if there's not a great school. So it's, it's, it's very similar to the Ecofiltral model. It's a foundation, but... Um, you know, my kids went there, you know, I actually have a kid at Notre Dame now at Boston College. Uh, all the kids get into the top colleges because it's a great college prep school. But the beauty of the model is, um, and we put this, you know, in the founding documents, at least 50% of the kids need to be on some form of scholarship. So right now it's 52%, um, which is about $800,000 of scholarships are given each year but it's financially sustainable. So my kids, which were full pay, um, are subsidizing a lot of kids that couldn't pay 100% of the tuition. And it's just beautiful. It gives, it's need blind, you know, as long as you uh, get accepted, we'll get you We'll get you in. We have about 440 kids there. Wow. And it's part of the ecosystem. So you've got a great school, now you have a great physical space, and I think that's what gets, um, a region on the path to prosperity. Is it a K through 12? Yeah, it's K through yeah. 12. And I think you're right. I mean, it is, that's the, you, you need to build ecosystems. Of, yeah. uh, you and Christine are doing an amazing job building it from <laughs> the school yeah. to the eco filter to the co, uh, the co-creating space yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, cool. to, oh, yeah. to all the things uh, you're doing, the volcano summit. Um, and so I, I really see, you know, Talk about some agents of innovation for Guatemala. You guys are doing amazing work. <laughs> Thank you. And I know you're also working with so many other amazing people, which is great. Um, so I am a big reader. I love mm. reading books. My Fearless Journeys community, we have a book club. Mm. So every two months we choose a new book. A lot of them fall in the sort of a self-starter, uh, you know, self-empowerment kind of uh, space and things like that. Right now, we're in the middle of reading a book called The Comfort Crisis oh. by Michael Easter. It's great. I've yeah. heard you're I've, a big I've reader. Read yeah. <laughs> uh, so how, how many books do you tend to read? <laughs> uh, how, what, how do you spend your week or your month or your year reading? And yeah. so that's my first question. And then my second question will be, if you could tell me a book maybe that was most impactful on you. Yeah. So uh, I've, uh, this year, I've read 63 books. Wow, so we're I, in. Uh, we're in. What are we in? October. We just yeah, started. Yeah, I'm tracking about 75. I, I mean, That's I did. Amazing. I did. Uh, I think 73 last year. I read a lot, not only business. So I've read The Comfort Crisis, a book that I just read, which uh, Walter Isaacson's biography of Leonardo da Vinci. I mean, wow. if, talking about innovator, uh, you know, he, uh, you know, he didn't. He didn't have the greatest work ethic, and he was known for not finishing a lot of his artwork, but he applied mathematics and geometry and physics to his art and that's why it was so incredible so that uh that was very interesting to me uh, i just started um the founder of singularity university just wrote kind of the second version on exponential organizations and i just started it a couple days ago um but i i think it's important to read a lot and not to only read one subject so i read a lot of biographies a lot of novels you know i read dostoevsky's uh uh, brothers, uh, Karamazov. I'm about a third of the way through, um, but I kind of keep picking it up and putting it down because it's 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 a it's, lot. it's, it's, it's dense. Yeah, it's 1,200 pages. Um, but you, I, I encourage. I mentor a lot of entrepreneurs, and I tell them, you know, you can waste a lot of time on your smartphone. The the great entrepreneurs, they read a lot, and they read on all subjects, and it just makes your mind more and more curious, and you apply that. When you're running your business, you know you do better marketing. You, um, it gives you an advantage, and a lot of your competition will not be reading, and will not be as creative. So for me, that's really important. I mean, I encourage my kids to read. Um, you know, one of my kids, uh, you know, uh, isn't able to read, so he does podcasts, um, or audible books, uh, audible yeah. books, and. But that's so important, you know, don't get distracted by your smartphone. The first thing I do is I read in the morning. And um, I used to just wake up and see what messages I had. I don't do that anymore. So it's really important to kind of have, I'm very regimented, um, which drives my wife crazy sometimes, is I do get up early. um, And I, I have a kind of a boring lifestyle in the morning, but it prepares me to be, you know, a better entrepreneur. Well, it's a little bit, you're taking the, the same kind of track that Michael Easter it, talks about in the cover crisis. He says, 
we need to be bored more often. We're so distracted every moment. Yeah. And, and, and so we'll, we'll go to our phones or yeah. whatever. And, and also, um, you know, just whether it's reading, getting outside, walking, taking nature walks, getting outside, we're, we're so, we're so glued to our tech and our, yeah. and our stuff. And it's great. It's like, we have this, we have this uh, opportunity to have so many resources these days at our, at our command, but we need to kind of know when to step back yeah. and, and do that. So developing the mind through reading and, yeah. and taking a step back is great. Well, you guys have done amazing work. I have one more question that I, I didn't get to ask about Ecofiltro. Um, you service, you now have hit about 800,000 families in Guatemala, but there's a lot of places in the world that need clean water. Are yeah. there other places you're servicing or maybe empowering to, yeah. to get the, the, these technology well, to them? So this is hot off the press. Um, you know, so this technology is open source. The inventor donated to humanity, but a lot of it got replicated kind of with the foundation model. So there are 62 factories of which 60 are very small, right? Like, you know, the same size uh, of the factory we had when it was our foundation, basically produced 2,000 filters a year. So I'm in the process of, uh, we just hired an engineer uh, who is an expert in Six Sigma. You know, we're ESO, mm -hmm. but we're, and we want to create a factory model that we're going to replicate with this entrepreneurial model worldwide. Um, we did a prize in Africa last year, uh, entrepreneur from Tanzania won. Um, I'm mentoring all the sales and marketing. Uh, he's already ordered three containers. And so we want to, you know, first uh, get these entrepreneurs to understand what it takes to sell and market and then place these world-class factories like the one we have here in Guatemala all over the world. So we have the engineer in place that we think can allow us to really create that model factory that can be replicated. Because, you know, my dream is there should be an ecofiltro in every home on the planet. I mean, uh, especially in developing countries. And I think you can solve all the health crisis that comes from people that don't have access to clean water and you can do it sustainably and you can do it through entrepreneurs that will make money doing it. So it's like the perfect business and it's the best way to help the, the poor all over the world. Well, uh, Philip Wilson, agent of innovation here in Guatemala and you have impacted so many people here and now we'll, we might see that impact reverberate around the world, whether it's through what you're doing with the Volcano Summit or Ecofilter and empowering uh, sales teams all yeah. across the, the world. So thanks so much for your time. Thanks for being an agent of innovation yeah. and for being on the Agents of Innovation podcast. Yeah. Thank you, Francisco.